Hello and welcome to Chasing the Peloton. I'm your host, Peter, and this is episode one, a conversation with Iman Kagumba. I'm in the very fortunate position of having been selected to take part in the first edition of the Migration Gravel Race this June in Kenya. It's a 600-kilometer off-road gravel race through the Masai Mara, which, as a prospect, is pretty mind-blowing and I cannot wait. And the competition is also going to be fierce, although I don't know every single rider that's going to be taking part. Some of the names that have already been put out there are of the highest caliber. There's going to be some of the best riders from East Africa competing against former World Tour pros, current World Tour pros, uh, high-level endurance athletes, and me. So I'm training pretty hard right now, but I also saw an opportunity to help support the message of the Migration Gravel Race, which is about encouraging inclusion and shining a spotlight on cycling within East Africa. So I thought what better way to do that than share a series of conversations with some of the athletes who are going to be taking part, get a better understanding of how they got into cycling, what their hopes are for the migration gravel race, and potentially even get some tips for me in my preparations as well. And so here we are. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be putting out these conversations and today we have episode one with Iman. I really enjoyed this conversation with her and I hope you guys do too. We went deep into what diversity and inclusion means in, in Kenyan cycling and, and what her hopes are for the future following the migration gravel race. So without further ado, here it is. Imam, welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today for this conversation. I'm really excited about it. And perhaps we can start at the beginning. How did you get into cycling? Uh, yeah, so um, I got into cycling. I didn't get into cycling. I was born in cycling, I guess. Because yeah. the first toy my mama ever bought me was the bike. Mm. And then went on with the toy guns and the toy cars. But I always had my bicycle. Um, I was brought up. I was brought up in an environment where there were so many boys. I keep I keep forgetting to mention that. But yeah, I was brought up around so many dudes and yeah. younger dudes, older dudes. So the only things I could do with them is ride the bike, and that was the only thing I was good at that would beat them. The rest of right. the things, they would beat me. They would beat me in soccer. They would run faster than me. And yeah. So I guess still recently in 2017, I have always ridden my bike as a hobby. I have never thought about cycling professionally. I have never thought about what if cycling is a sport. You know, mm. I, I've always just done it like a hobby. I'd go to the shop with my bike. I'd go see my friends with my bike so that probably I save up some money that my mom gave me. Uh, right. Yeah. So I think when I started my uni back in 2017 is when I, I really wanted to save up some money. So I only started cycling again to save up some money for the things I would love. Maybe a new pair of shoe. Maybe I want to go out. So I started commuting with my bike to school and then I just slowly fell in love with, with cycling long distance because that was my first time to 
actually go into the town with the bike from home and you know commuting is mm. commuting is insane because you have cars people here we have bikers and these small three-legged things they call tuk-tuks which yeah. are very noisy yeah so they're everywhere and commuting was really a big task for me because i would take around 20 minutes to get to school or to get to town and i would just go through so much so afterwards i stopped commuting and started being more intentional on my cycling so i started doing rounds like i started doing laps and laps okay. and i'm like wow and then someone told me about strava and i was like wait so i can record my progress wow <laughs> So then I started 5 kilometers. If you go back way back to my Strava you'll mm. see I was struggling. 5 kilometers. Yay, I'm happy. 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers, 30, 40. It grew. Oh my god, until these days I just sit and go miles. So I guess it's been slowly growing mm. into something really big. But back in 2017 is when I cultivated that. And then the commuting led me and I had a mountain bike so with the commuting it gives you some skills and then mm. i added mountain biking now i started going off road so i think i just fell in love with that because i was like why would i go race with cars when i can just go find wild animals yeah. and look at trees and breathe so i guess that's just how i fell in love with mountain biking yeah. then well i was i was going to ask yeah. you ask you what what it was about cycling that made you fall in love with it and and it sounds like it is kind of the ability to escape and and have and have adventure. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what happened to me because I was getting used to the traffic. I I have been knocked down by cars more than 10 times and I kept I was tired. I was like I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep you know I was like I was getting mean and frustrated every time I'm on the road. I'd be like what are you doing? Get out of my way. Oh, yeah. oh, I was like, no, I just want to ride my bike. I don't want to think about anything. Yeah. Just me and the road and the beautiful scene and the jungle and the rivers and just the sounds of the birds. So that's just how I, I just started going off-road. And yeah, it's been is, is there a particular is there is there a particular memory that you have kind of of when when that switch was made in your head of kind of like, oh, like this is this is more than just commuting this is this is something that i'm really going to enjoy that i'm going to start cycling for cycling rather than just as a way to get around honestly i don't really remember the switch i think it's been an on and off switch for me because sometimes i would i don't know i just kept feeling like i don't want to commute anymore i even stopped commuting mm. with my bike so i i would just set times and i'd be like i'm going cycling 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then i'd go wherever i'm going right. so now i'd save up my money for my bike equipments i wouldn't save up my transport to right, to okay, buy yeah. shoes yeah so the priorities changed mm. everything changed so i think it's been great but i think like late 2017 i realized i don't want to commute anymore with my bike i just want to i, I want to just have i have i want to intentionally ride my bike but then it keeps changing because 
when I finished my diploma, I, I was free. So I was doing community work. Then I was like, in order for me to do community work and perfect in it, I, I need to maximize on my savings. So I then went back to commuting. Okay. So I would commute to the orphanages with my bike. I would commute to the youth centers with my bike. I would, because then I wasn't going to school anymore. And then came Corona, no more social distancing, this and that. So yeah. I was like, the only way to avoid people is to just ride my bike because yeah. I'll be alone. No stress. So I would go everywhere with my bike, everywhere, government offices, school, to check up on people, to go to my volunteer works. So that, that's how I keep telling it's an on and off switch. But it sounds like you cycle a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Oh, yes, I do. This junk mileage keep, keeps piling up and it takes a, a toil on, on your body. Mm. Junk mileage is not good. <laughs> it makes you very tired. And so I, I, from what I hear, your, uh, your main discipline would be mountain biking. Am I right in thinking? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's like, even, even when I would ride my, my, my mountain bike on road, mm. I would just ride my mountain bike on road. Unless I'm very, my road biking is very intentional because I have a road bike, but I would only go out for my road bike when I want to go very long, very fast and come back home very fast. So if I want to do 150, I only have four hours. There's no way I would do that in my mountain bike. Yeah. So if I want the mileage and I have little time, that's when I use my road bike. But if I have time, and it's sorry, <laughs> I just spoke some Swahili. It's very intentional. My road biking is intentional, but I would classify myself as a mountain biker any day. So you're going to be riding your mountain bike for the the race in June. Whoa, that's hmm. it's a very tricky position I am in because mm. it's a double suspension. Right. It's it's around. 16 kilos Ooh. yeah so and I'll, I'll have my bananas yeah. my chocolates <laughs> my bars my three liters of water another yeah. 500 milliliters of water i'll have puncture kits tubes cartridges oh my god how much <laughs> that's gonna be crazy so to be honest cycling is is a privilege and for me to even get chosen for the migration gravel race, mm. I wouldn't bring up an excuse like my bike is heavy. I would just deal with it. Yeah. I'll go. Respect. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So if I get a, a gra I'm actually planning to source some people who are interested in sponsoring me and getting a gravel bike, mm. but it's not really a priority because I have a bike. Yeah. I have a mountain bike. So I have that option, but if it doesn't work out by June, I'm going to go race with my mountain bike because I'm training in it for mm. whatever outcome that, you know, gets mm. to the, I just have, that's my plan A, B and C, it's my mountain bike. Well, maybe if there's someone out there listening to this who wants to, <laughs> who wants to sponsor you, get in touch. Yeah, please do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be so awesome, but. It's going to be really cool if I also do it with my double suspension because it will just, again, open up the door to diversity. Yeah. Because then, yeah, it would just be like, just come, guys. I know some don't have gravel bikes, but 
that shouldn't be something that stops you from doing it and that should be something that other people see as like no oh, it doesn't matter what you've got you can still take part and i'm really interested to know about um diversity and inclusion in in east african cycling um and what your perspective is 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 on it and kind of where the scene is at the moment and where you hope it might go in the future yeah um with with diversity and inclusion and equality i would i wouldn't lie to you it's 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 a struggle yeah down here it's a struggle but it's it's an understandable struggle because you can't you can't take someone who has been do who who is cultured in in a certain way for yeah. like forever and tell them you have been doing it wrong the whole time it's very hard for them to get to understand you so like <clears throat> like right here it's it's almost culture that men get yeah. the best things and then whatever remains goes to the ladies that's almost the culture here okay. and you can't just wake up and tell people yo stop that's not how it's supposed to be it's supposed to be this way so that that's what people are getting wrong they want to shout at people about this and that and that i do that too sometimes i'm like you're doing it wrong it's not that way but i understand that that's how they are cultured it's it's a long time process that happened and then now we are realizing that's not how things are you need to be diverse and being diverse doesn't mean having one lady and having one man it means having a man who's crippled who's blind who's colored who's mm. muslim christian you know hindu and riding a black mamba gravel bike road bike and a lady who's the same having them in the same place doing almost the same thing without pitting the other without making the other feel more like like almost worshiping them or like you know making others feel like they're better so diversity yeah. is being diversity and inclusion work hand in hand because in order for you to be diverse you have to include so you have to bring in the people who then create the change because like when i always use this example this example of when you want to have a race and you have ladies and you have it's a ladies race and you have men in the committee the men won't understand what the ladies go through in the races there's no way the rules will fit the ladies so in order for you to have that fair share of yeah. of you know things you have to include a lady for them to tell you yeah. no you know ladies like their things like this ladies love this color they love their roads like this some have ocd they love their things very organized yeah. you see so that 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 makes and then it pulls different crowds being diverse pulls different crowds like migration yeah. gravel race we have you yeah. and me and maybe an ex tour de france maybe winner or even you know a cape epic winner is there and just some local rwandese and a local ugandan and yeah. then we have someone from scotland and then you know that pulls different crowds now we have people from the uk who are interested people from rwanda who are interested people from kenya people from egypt people from you know wherever but if we only limited this to a certain group of people we're not diverse and we don't pull crowds 
Yeah. We just remain in our bubble. We think we're in that, we're developed. But mm. maybe our bubble is the only developed bubble. But yeah. when you get out of it, you're like, why are these people like this? So yeah, it's easy yeah. to just be inclusive and diverse. Yeah. So it's not it's not necessarily about um, what, what, what you're saying is you don't know what you could do differently until you have that other perspective coming in. And this is this is the opportunity to get a, such a diverse group of people in. And there's going to yes. be things that I've never experienced. There's going to be things that you've never experienced. There's going to be things that the organizers or the broader society have never experienced. And then through that, through those experiences, then hopefully new ways of doing things uh, come out. From what I hear you're saying, it, it's also about, it's not just about giving a place to a lady in a race. It's about top to bottom, the representation of yes. not just women, but also other, other types of diversity so that um, the decision-making and the thinking and the creation behind events and, and kind of almost the culture is diverse yeah. rather than just yeah. having kind of like, okay, we're going to invite these people because that makes it look more diverse, but it doesn't necessarily change the format or the structure of it. Yes, that's exactly what I just said in a different dimension. <laughs> so cool. So what's your hope for the, the migration gravel race then? If, if we had this conversation in six months time and we, the, the race goes well, we have a great time, uh, and I speak to you in six months' time, what, what are we going to be talking about as the, as the results of the, the migration gravel race? First of all, we will constantly remind ourselves of the hills <laughs> and the bees <laughs> and the bees and the animals and be like, do you remember? Do you remember? Oh my God, that hill was insane. Well, that's six months, one year. It's always going to be like, that was some pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. And maybe we would talk about stuff like, you know, now we need to change the perspective of racing. And you know how um, racing is very weird, I would say, because migration gravel race has, to me, it has, it's going to change the perspective of racers and race event organizers, because then they will have to, being diverse is giving opportunity. Yeah. That's it. You don't, if you're looking for winners, you are going to get winners. But winners, it, it doesn't then, it, lose the, it loses that flavor. You need to have other people who are not planning to be winners. And maybe they may win, yeah. you know, but, you know, giving them that opportunity to, to feel how it feels to be in the shoe with someone who's good, better than you. Yeah. And, you know, putting everyone on like a level field and telling them go i think that will until six months i can't even imagine what it, it will do to us i think it will be the most beautiful experience anyone will ever experience because that's something because even when you check in other races like uh, which even tour de france it's not that diverse no i mean do we do we have local people attending these races not not for winning just attending the race just being part of it yeah 
having the tour de France experience first hand mm. not looking at racing to win but racing to enjoy the racing and yeah. racing to feel how it feels to be in the tour de France mm. you know and also people so, can then relate better to that experience so for example you sharing your experience of the migration gravel race is going to be a, yeah. a lot more relatable and understandable and engaging to other kenyans um yes then for example if 50 of me came over and did the race or like the the national the kenyan national champion comes and does the race kind of the people who are local who aren't necessarily there expecting to win um but are there to take part and experience that's that's how you get the message out there and that's how you grow grow the sport i think yeah that's exactly actually you just said it how i said it a few days ago that's exactly how you relate to people by bringing people who are relatable to them that yeah. I, if 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 like how would you expect chris from even if even when he he grew up in kenya to come and tell us how the tour de france is we wouldn't still understand we weren't in the in his shoes we no. don't understand the type of training he does but you know someone like me mm. who people see me train people see what i eat how i dress how i sleep and then everything literally everything my friends my lifestyle and then they see me in the migration gravel race and then let's say i finish the 650 and i like, whoa wait a minute you yeah, finished she did that they, wow yeah she did exactly and yeah. then they'll be like that's so cool and then they wouldn't even need to ask me what did you do you know they just they know what i did they've yeah. seen me live they see me train they see my lifestyle so it, they they even feel like it's not impossible it's very possible for everyone that's amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe migration gravel race 2022 there's a load more local kenyan riders and quite a diverse group doing it yeah yes and hopefully when if corona will be a little bit gone because it's a pandemic it's going to take a while to yeah. wear out but maybe then we would see the impact it has done to the local and global community we would have more people wanting to come for races in africa because mm. it's not yeah. yes it's not like no. going to cape epic no 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 <laughs> yeah has so has cycling taken off quite a lot in in the last year with with coronavirus because for example here in the uk you couldn't buy a bike for months because they all sold out because everyone started cycling is that is that similar Is there a similar story? Yes, it is a similar story, but um here bikes are always there. So we didn't run out of bikes. Right. Maybe we ran out of high-end bikes, but yeah. we always had bikes. But then we had a there was a gap. There was a gap that grew mm. and more people wanted to learn how to ride the bike. So even I started training and coaching people to ride bikes, especially so I took the angle of teaching women how to ride by cuz genuinely speaking almost every man on earth maybe not all but most of them know yeah. how to ride a bike compared to the number of women who don't know how to ride bikes so even for a man it would be easy to just say i'll look for a bike and ride but for a woman they have to start with 
let me start riding. Let me right. let me start learning how to ride a bike and then buy a bike. So I I, I had I had another bike then. It was a Marine uh, Hattay. So I would I would have sessions in the morning and in mm. the afternoon where I would teach some female newbies how to ride from scratch. Okay. Yeah. So I've, That's awesome. I've sat around. Yeah. I've had more than 10. I've had now more than 15. And most of them, if not all, bought bikes and are now riding yeah. more. Like my my best friend right now, I taught her from scratch. Right now she can go 50 kilometers on her own. And that's one nice. year down the line. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And, and coming back to what we were saying before, that's how you're going to... That's how you're going to grow cycling. That is like people like you sharing your experience and willing to, to give time to those who, who need to learn. And those 10, 15 women are going to be really interested in how you're going to do in the migration gravel race. And who knows, your friend who can now do 50K next year or the year after is suddenly going, I want to do the migration gravel race. And then it just yes. continues. That's, that, <laughs> yeah, that's how these things exactly. get started. And this is, this is, how, this is how change, change happens. Yeah, that's exactly what what's going on, and it's it looks small right now. Fifteen, fifteen ladies might look like a very small number, but that those are those are ladies that I give a new skill that they yeah. never had before, and now they're going to always remember that. And even as they teach someone else, because I didn't teach them when they're babies, I taught ladies who are twenty five year old, thirty year old. Mm. You know, I taught. People, others take two days to learn. Others take weeks to learn how to ride. So it's it's been a tough journey. And I hope and I believe that's how I personally have taken a step to change, to also diversity. Because, come on, I would probably go to school and and get get a uni that would teach me how to become a professional coach and you know, do professional cycling and teach professionals how to be professionals. But I just took a smaller angle of just teaching people who don't even know anything about cycling. Yeah. They don't even know what a bottom bracket is to just then learn how to ride a bike. And that's my way of being diverse in the that's, sport. Yeah, that's really cool and and very inspiring. And I hope that you continue to kind of teach people how to ride bikes and, and grow it because... Again, that, that's how these things get started. Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, Thank you. Now, just before we finish up, I want to ask specifically because um, I know a little of what to expect for the migration gravel race, but I don't know much. And I'm curious to know what you're doing to prepare, if there's any training tips that you've got um, that I could, I could be cheeky enough to, to borrow. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to hear what you're doing, but <laughs> let me just <laughs> give you a little bit of what I have researched. So that's a, I told you about my last ride where I did 90 kilometers in like four hours, yeah. something. <clears throat> and I averaged uh, 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 speed 18 kilometers per hour. So the whole, I, 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 I never thought I would do that with the amount of elevation I gained. And so 
I just realized that I was told to fuel and I listened mm. and I fueled. So that has really, it, it then made me sit down and understand why do I need to fuel? And I was told by my very good friend that you need to fuel because you're like a car. Yes. Your legs are the engine, which when you drive a car without the oil, you, you will spoil the car, literally. You will probably use the gas that's remaining in the tank, yeah. which will spoil the engine, maybe some other parts of the, of the car. Then we'll need replacements, right? Mm. So then he told me, in order to avoid spoiling the car, you need to fuel for whatever miles you're going to do. And that's the same for the body. So you have to fuel your body equivalently to the amount of miles you will do. And that doesn't mean bulking your stomach before the ride. It means assessing how much energy you use and equally fueling that same energy yeah. after every 45 minutes to one hour. So you avoid burning out what you have in your thighs and arms and muscles because that's for sprinters. Sprinters use their muscles, but we long-distance riders use the fuel in our tummies. That digestion and that that everything that's going on gives you the the instant energy to just keep going. So I think one of the biggest tips I grasped at the moment is fueling, getting used to it, and learning what you love to eat during a ride, and considering that's going to be a race, so there'll be a lot of tension around. So you need to be really keen and intentional on the feeding yes. during the ride. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I've grasped so far. So apart from training the mileage to get used to the saddle, you have to also eat. And also you must expect if you're coming with a gravel bike, it's going to be tough because yeah. there'll be a lot of rocks, your hands. You need to probably double tape and wear very good gloves. Because, yep. uh, have you interviewed Kate? I think you've yes, interviewed Kate. Yeah. She's already has done she it. she told you about yeah. that? Yeah, she has already done it. And I met her after she did it. And I saw her hands. Right. Oh my God, they were blistered right. everywhere. Yeah, she's telling me it's really tough on the drops. Okay. So you really have to get used to it. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be ish stuff, but I guess... If you fuel, then you can just... And then my, my good friend also told me not to... Another tip, don't go too hard. Don't go too hard at all. Just go easy the whole way. Yeah. Just find, like she told me, this is a, she told me to train below my lactic threshold. That's what I'm really working on. Yeah. It's just working on my, my yeah. endurance at a... Not yeah. to get too technical, but like a, a zone two heart rate level and um just getting used to riding the hours rather than the distance or the speed for example oh yes riding quite regularly longer than four hours for example there was a very noticeable change in kind of my um how i felt on the bike once i, I did a, i did about six hours on saturday and after four hours suddenly i kind of like that's when I felt that my my heart and my lungs were starting to work, even though I hadn't pushed them. 
they were starting to develop that kind wow. of extra endurance. And so that's what, that's one of the things that I'm really working on is just, is not cycling hard, but just cycling long and, and getting my body yes. used to being on the bike for five, six, seven hours. Oh, yes. So, yeah, that's easier when you have the heart rate monitor. Yeah. But for those who are here listening who don't have, <laughs> I was told to just try to speak. And if you can't speak, you're going hard. Yeah. So you reduce the speed and try to speak and then just go at that pace. Maintain and the cadence and everything. Then I think once you understand a few tips, everything then comes to play. Because in order for you to maintain that riding below your lactic threshold, you need to have a certain RPM. Yes. That's your cadence. Then that's it. Just it it works out eventually. You just enter the flow. And you just go <laughs> in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the zone. <laughs> exactly. One last thing. Um, we need to, I told you about culture and yeah. how the culture is influencing our diversity and how hard it is to implement it here. So I think for everyone to be able to get into that sink, I think we need to, in our daily routine, in our lives, out of cycling, we need to be diverse out of cycling because yeah. you can't put up two faces. You can't just say, I'll only be diverse in the cycling. I'll only be diverse at work. I'll only be diverse with my kids. No, mm. you have to make it your culture. So I think once everyone tries to, to be diverse everywhere, then we will achieve diversity in cycling too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not just a special thing for cycling because it looks good. It's, yes. it's actually something that's <laughs> fundamental to the people that are taking part. They believe that it is important rather than they, they know that it is important because it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it starts, it starts with things like this um, and sharing the stories and having the events like the migration gravel race. So I'm really excited to take part and to meet you there. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today and meet you. If people wanted to um, find out more about you, is, is there somewhere online that they could do that? Yeah, um, I have a website. So I think, I don't know if people will get the name, but it goes... I can put a Iman, link in the description. If, okay, oh, yeah. it's just imankagumba.com. Mm -hmm. So I have a website there where I try to air my concerns. Right. <laughs> and I have a YouTube channel that's linked into the websites where I cool. show my shenanigans, my cycling, <laughs> my few tricks that I've been learning throughout the years and my activities as, as, as a normal human being out of cycling. Yeah. I also put, put up my a little bit of what I do out of cycling in my YouTube and then my Instagram, Iman Queen. That's just Iman Queen, triple E though. <laughs> Queen right. Elizabeth. Queen but Elizabeth. Then oh, by the way, I was named Queen by my grandma mm. because she was born on the same day Queen Elizabeth was born. The second really? day, I think. <laughs> yeah. 
So she named me that. So it's been my nickname yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are some of the platforms I'd love to engage with anyone yeah. who would want to share a few things yeah. with me. Yeah. And any sponsors you'd like to shout out? Yes. Oh my God. First, I want to shout out to Migration Gravel Race, the whole yeah. team. It's it's a big team, so everyone there. And I want to shout out to Hunt because they have sponsored me. To, awesome. They have sponsored my race, so they'll pay for everything. Cool. How cool is that? Big shout and they out to gave Hunt. me some wheels. Yeah, big shout out to Hunt. And big shout out specifically to Joshi Betts, who's facilitating everything, who's Ooh. also going to be in the Migration Gravel yeah, Race. I'm, speaking, I'm interviewing him next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll probably give you more tips because he's given me a handful of tips. Yes, a shout out to him too. And probably my guardian angel who actually hooks me up with Hunt and she is the one who has opened my heart, my my mind and has opened me up to the world. And that's Emma, Emma Osenton. She also just does long gravel rides she's okay. found on instagram she's she's like my guardian angel i think she deserves the shout outs too <laughs> and mm. all my friends and everyone who listen who knows me shout right. out to you too <laughs> cool. yeah well Iman, thank you very thank much you. it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you pleasure is all mine thank you peter so that was my conversation with Iman. Thanks again to her. And if you want to find out more about what she's up to, you'll find the various links to her Instagram and website in the podcast description. I'll be back next week with another conversation for you. And in the meantime, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Find us on Instagram at Chasing the Peloton. Thank you and goodbye.